3: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
4: Welcome to episode 226 of the DFO Rundown, brought to you by Botano. 19 plus, please play responsibly. The game starts now with Botano. I'm Jason Greger. We welcome in, as always, Frank Cervalli, as uh, we are on the eve of potentially the Stanley Cup being awarded for the first time ever won by the Vegas Golden Knights as they lead 3-1 to uh, Florida. A banged-up team uh, just uh, struggling to uh, score against this uh, Vegas defense, Frank, it uh, it seems all but over uh, at this point. Um, obviously, the, the health of Kachuk is a factor in the series, but really it's just Vegas is doing to Florida what they've done to everybody else, and that's limit goals against. Did you just anoint the Golden Knights the champs? Yeah, that's right.
5: Interesting. The Panthers were also down 3-1 to one against the Boston Bruins uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, well, buddy, not every series is the same yeah I, uh, I, I tend I to agree with you, but I do think it's yeah it's uh I think I do think the golden Knights win i'm I'm just not entirely certain that it ends on Tuesday,
4: actually, hey, I picked them in six, so I would prefer if it was Friday, but
5: Matthew um, kachuk, all he said, all we have to do is win one game, send it back to Florida,
4: yeah, oh, it's true, like it's just Make Vegas across the country again has been so good at limiting offense in this series. So Well,
5: I mean, here's the only thing and and I guess it depends on how you look at it, there's uh, there's so many different areas for the Golden Knights or sorry, for the Panthers to clean up. And in in an odd way, if you if you look at it through the right lens, it might give you some optimism. Over 13 on the power play. Their penalty kills only 12 for 18 in the series. They've lost the battle at 5 on 5. Their goalie hasn't been as good. Like there's so many number of different areas to potentially clean up that you can you could be optimistic if you're a Panthers fan. It's just the injuries are what loom large for me now. For a team that had 10 days off, they really have gotten unlucky in this series. Kachuk is the big one, but then a bunch of their guys don't really look right to me. Montour, Ekblad, uh Luce obviously out, Gudis, like, I mean, that's almost half their back end seems to be banged up.
4: Oh, yeah, and that's, hey, like, what's interesting to me, Frank, is you mentioned the, the power play for Florida. Vegas coming into the Stanley Cup final, their penalty kill was 63%. And now it's been 100% in the series. I think the biggest missed opportunity in this series has been that Florida couldn't score on a team that was terrible on the penalty kill in all three series. But they get to the final and Florida uh, can't do anything. Like they're zero. They're not, okay, we've got two or three. They're zero. So that's a, to me, that's probably the biggest surprise is how they turned their penalty kill around literally in a, in a blink of an eye and Florida's power play hasn't been able to do anything.
5: Well, I'll tell you what. Did you notice the change in officiating on Saturday night in game 4? Four? four total penalty minutes the entire game. The second yeah. penalty wasn't handed out, it was an automatic one until 17 seconds left in the third period. We had 148 penalty minutes in game 2 alone. Yeah, but th- you know who that benefits? benefits the Panthers getting shredded on both special teams. You have at least a fighting chance, at least the way that this has gone out, gone on to, to win at even strength. You have a a prayer, a hope and a prayer.
4: Yeah. So if,
5: if that's the way that it's going to be officiated to think that that's the change from game two to game four. And all of a sudden these two teams are playing squeaky clean hockey. It's laughable. I tend to, you know believe when you get to this time of the year that it should be as close to to prison yard rules as possible that unless someone is out and out bleeding there shouldn't be much of a call but i know i'm old school in that thought and that's okay but it was really i'm not a big i'm not one of those guys that harps on officiating but to see the difference between game 2 to game 4 is it's like a different sport man
4: well, game two is also the game where everybody got a 10 minutes it's like Oprah Winfrey is refing, like the 10 yeah. minute misconduct. So, so there like were it.
5: 12 10 minute misconducts handed out in that game. Yeah. But still, that leaves 28 other penalty minutes that were all minors. That's yeah. 14 minor or
4: can I do math? 14
5: minor. there's yeah,
4: 14 minors. Quite a few were coincidental. Like if and I don't, it's, hey, guys, still, there was a
5: number of roughings, hooking strippings yeah. that weren't like it was like, come on. To to think that these two teams all of a sudden are playing cleaner by game four. No, they're just managing it better.
4: Yeah. Like game three, I was the one that I thought was the biggest discrepancy because that's where there was what, I think 11 power plays between the two teams. And, um, some of those calls, like the Radko-Gudas cross-check in game three, I was like, pardon? Like, that was one of the weakest calls I've ever seen. But the officiating isn't why they're down three to one. Vegas is clearly No,
5: all I'm saying is it gives the Panthers a chance if there are not very many calls.
4: Yeah, and historically, the later you go into series, there are fewer penalties, historically. So not always, but... Speaking Um, of
5: the job Vegas has done on their penalty kill, I just wanted to give a little love to Bruce Cassidy. Wednesday will mark one year to the day that he was hired. And he might be able to celebrate by sipping a cold one out of Lord Stanley's mug, but I'm not certain that they're in this spot without him. Like they're, if you go back in time one year ago, I think it's kind of easy to forget that the Golden Knights missed the playoffs. Yeah. One year ago this week, Jack Eichel was vacationing in Hawaii. And this team really didn't make many roster changes. In fact, they they said goodbye to a really good player in Max Pacioretty as a salary cap casualty. They knew that their goaltender, Robin Leonard, wouldn't be coming back and sort of by half measure, at least what it appeared to be at the time, filled their crease, and now this team is is one win away from the cup. I I think Bruce Cassidy has done an absolutely masterful job coaching.
4: Oh no, no question. He the the players have bought into everything that he's selling. I don't think there's much debate on that. Um, you know, I, I think you know, Jack Eichel getting healthier it was. It's not a new player, but but he's able to do things that he he really wasn't even doing at the end of last season. So um, now I, you're right, because I think, you know, they made a few changes. Dadanoff went out, um, you know, Kessel, but Kessel doesn't really play very much. I just their their main core guys are their ones winning. And usually, usually, Frank, if you go over cup winners, it's kind of it's kind of how it is. Right. Uh, teams that make significant change rarely have success.
5: Uh, and I get it, but we were also talking about, and their owner went through a lengthy review process considering firing the general manager and Kelly McCrimmon. like here. And, and here's the dangerous part about all of this for teams that are watching all of this unfold is I bet you there's a number of them who are sitting here today saying that could have been us. we, we first off, we could have beat the Golden Knights in the playoffs. I bet the Oilers are thinking that at this exact moment in time. That we we could have won the Stanley Cup this year. And it's true.
4: Oh. Well, the Oilers for sure. I give the Oilers their their ability to self-destruct in the second periods of game 5 and 6 or that's what's haunting them. There's no question.
5: Yeah, well there's it's not even as simplistic of an answer as that. There's a million things that went into it, but the point being There's other teams that thought that they were just as good as the Golden Knights and think right now they are still just as good, even though their team is sitting at home. And I guess my fear would be, if I was a fan of one of those teams, is that our management group is going to lull itself into complacency, thinking that you don't need to change. Mm -hmm. And I get that change can be overrated, but I also think the idea of running it back time after time. It doesn't have to be a wholesale change, but the Bruce Cassidy coaching change, getting rid of another good coach in Pete DeBoer, who got his team to the West final. Look, the Golden Knights haven't always gotten it right. This is their third coach in six seasons, but sometimes it's a reminder that one piece here or there can be a big difference maker. And I think you know, if you're in Toronto, you're asking the same question today about Sheldon Keefe. Or if and it's not necessarily just coaching, it could be one positional player that makes everything click. And I, I just think you always try and, it's a copycat league. You always try and find what are the sort of recipes of success for the Golden Knights. One, uh, they have size on their back end. Ding, ding, ding. Jason Greger just dented his desk. Two, they have a ton of speed. Yeah. Dangerous in transition in the neutral zone. Those are two pretty big facets and hallmarks to to replicate.
4: Oh yeah. So you know what? They're Vegas is is a quality team. They're deserving of the win. Um, you know, I, I still look at Vegas and I'm I'm curious, you know, what they're gonna do uh moving forward. Obviously, they're you know, Leonard we assume Frank, um, there hasn't been much change in his status. We don't expect him to be back. Um but I look at their cap situation, what they're going to do with some other guys. I, you know, like any team, there's always a few pieces that that will move uh, in and out. And and that gets me to we are here now, what, uh, just over two weeks away from uh, the NHL draft uh, draft week officially. I actually
5: have a quick question before we get there.
4: Okay. Is
5: this the end for Phil Kessel? And what would it be like to see him hoist yet another Stanley Cup? I would love to see him take the cup back to a golf course this summer and 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 eat a hot dog out of it. Yeah. But 1,064 consecutive games, obviously that streak doesn't carry over to the playoffs, but Kessel hasn't played since April 24th, has only played four playoff games for the Golden Knights this spring. Is this the end of the road?
4: It's a really good question, Frank. Um, I would kind like of think that it is, right? Like, If you're filling
5: 36 points though, and, and scored six more goals than he did the season prior. He had 14.
4: Yeah. Like, I think Phil could still play. The difference is, could he play on a cup contender? I, yeah. And does he want to, right? Like, do you, most most veteran players, they want to stick around because they want the chance to win. This would be his third one. And um, so maybe for him, it's not, maybe for him, he's just like, you know what? I want I want to go out finish playing, not you know, watching from the press box. So maybe maybe he does play another year and he's already got the record. The the question will be if a team signs him is Phil, if we sign you, is there the expectation that come hell or high water, we have to play you every game? That's probably gonna be a question, I would think. Right? Like, does he care that much now that he has the record that if they have to sit him out one game, then oh well. Or is this just an easy way to go out? Yeah, definitely could be.
5: By the way. Phil Kessel, not a Hall of Famer, right?
4: See, the thing about Phil, for a seven-year stretch, he was top 10 player in the league in points. And a lot of those years, he was a freedom fighter in Toronto, where if you look at his point totals to anybody else on his team, I I don't think he is, Frank. The fact that he's going to end up with three cups, having the the consecutive games played streak, he could be a guy who, you know, later on in the process – could get at it, uh, but I don't think I it's an obvious that. one by any stretch.
5: I mean, those two playoff
4: runs that he had in Pittsburgh oh, were like the stuff. Of he should have won the con smite the first year. In my opinion,
5: I actually voted him for con smite that year. And he finished second by, uh, I don't know what exactly what the tabulation was. Cause the PHWA didn't release it those years, but I think it was one or two points.
4: Yeah, no, he was, he was great. That for, for Pittsburgh, like it was a major reason why they won and while they hadn't been able to get over the hump. He became kind of their, their third star. And he so was going to finish in. with
5: basically a thousand points, 992 in 1286 games, plus the 1064 game consecutive streak and potentially three Stanley cups. It's a pretty yeah, decent consideration.
4: Yeah, Yeah. He'll get consideration for sure. Um, I don't know, not know that free, he was really dominant. No, those years, you know, he's top ten scorer in the league quite a few times. So you're in. To me, to be in the Hall of Fame, there has to be years where you were considered, you know, one of the the top players in the league, and it can't just be one or two. And so he was
5: very rarely considered the top player at his position. So he's a right winger. Yeah, he was on the fourth All Star team once and the third All-Star team twice.
4: So, Fourth All-Star? There's a fourth All-Star team? No, but
5: there isn't, but you can see where he finished in voting. So he was essentially voted the fourth best right-winger once and the third best right-winger twice. Okay. He did have some incredible statistical seasons. 2018-19, he scored 27 goals. Not really that much to write home about. 10 of them of the 27 were game winners. Like he's, he's, he's an anomaly in every sense. I think just a damn good hockey player. Yeah. If the, this is the end. I'm going to miss him.
4: Like the, the Iron Man streak for me is, is so incredibly impressive in the fact that just you're able to play through something every now and then he had to be banged up at some point. There's no question. I don't care who you are, but, um and you know, you, you stay healthy and it's funny, you know there there were so many fake stories written about Phil unfortunately, and you know focused oh, it wasn't in great shape, blah blah this or that. but you know he talked to players he always tested really well in in physicals and stuff like that. he just he didn't have a six pack. so what? you know I don't think you have to
5: but the games the Iron Man streak, the games played streak alone won't be enough to get him in no, but the others anyone is saying, hey, Keith Yandel." he should he should be in the Hall of Fame.
4: Yes, no. But, you know, Keith Yandel wasn't Phil Kessel when it came to the playoffs either, right? Like, yeah, you know, Phil was a major reason why they won a few Stanley Cups. That HBK line that first year? Oh, I think yes. Yeah, no, Phil, like, Phil the thrill. He lived up, you know, he overcame cancer, for goodness sakes. Like, he has lots of stories as to, you know, to why he should be considered. Uh, and I, I think he gets considered, not maybe after the, like, he's not an obvious choice. For me, he's one where and and it's going to come down to who somebody has to you know, r- put in a write up for him to say, OK, this is the guy that I think is deserving of the Hall of Fame. And here's why. Right. And I think it's always important to remind people that is if you don't get nominated, you can't get voted. It's impossible. So you're going to need somebody on the committee who feels you're worth it to get yourself into the ring.
5: By the way, I don't know if you saw a picture of Phil recently. Someone tweeted out a photo from the press box the other day. Oof.
4: That hair, he's got to take that thing to the
5: wood. He's got to go full Gregor.
4: The, the dream is he still. Uh, someone should just tell him the dream's over. Yeah,
5: uh, he, he's almost got like the monk haircut where you have stuff on the sides but nothing on the top. The friar.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. He, the it's, Costanza. It's, 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 people love the Costanza. So I can't stand you. Yeah, it's, wow. uh, it's not good. To me, I think it takes more courage to wear the Costanza than it does go into the wood. I'll say that.
5: Really? I had a buddy I saw at golf a few weeks back. He finally took himself to the
4: wood and uh, she looks like a different person. Oh, totally sense. does. Stop, stop, like, stop faking it. Like, I think it's hard. It's hard to pull off this Costanza and, and look top notch is all I'm saying. I think it's easier to look at it with the shaved head. The Costanza one to me is you got to be pretty uh, self-secure to be walking around with the Costanza I, all the time.
5: I think that's the best part about Phil is he does not give a shit.
4: Oh no, he doesn't seem to care about anybody. Like he's never cared. He's very secure in himself, and that's that's a great quality to have, no question about it. So I do wonder though, Frank, is a really good question. To, like if you're Phil Kessel and it's always because not that old, like the, today's player now, like 35 isn't like 35 used to be like you're almost, oh my goodness, how are you playing at 35? Nowadays, 35, oh whatever. Right. Like got lots of guys are playing into mid to late thirties. And I think it's going to be for
5: love of the game, all that, but like, what is the, and that really is, I think maybe one thing that differentiates him from others, but like he's gotten to the point now where it's the end of his career. And he, his cap hit this year was a million and a half. Yeah. Not to sneeze at a million and a half, but he's earned 93 million.
4: Yeah, you're playing for love of the game, right? Like you're playing. No, I for know, but I'm days. saying
5: so now you win another cup. You were a healthy scratch because your team told you that they didn't need you for their final 20 playoff games. I'd have a hard time convincing myself to want to do it
4: all over again. For what? Well, I think it comes back to as a professional player, that that thrill of high level competition, you can't get anywhere else. Once you retire, that's done. And when I've sat, talked to players that, yeah, you know, the camaraderie in the dress room and all that stuff. And hey, the, you know, the first class flights and hotels, that stuff's all great. But on game day, even in practice, just that high level of competitiveness, there's nowhere else to get it. Now you can be competitive in other, in other occupations, but it's usually not a physical competition, like unless he's going into some other sport, right? But there's, there's very few jobs that have that physical, component to have that high level of competition and you know guys who play in the nhl that long they're highly competitive like that's what drives them they love the competition like you hate losing and that's and you lose way more than you win every player in history has ever done that but man when you win that's what makes it so euphoric and i think that um every player i've talked to um about free agent a lot of them say you know what had i hung out even one more year like play until you really don't like it, then it's easier. Cause if you still love it and you're like, "Yeah, I'm going to walk away, there's always going to be that nine inside to come back. So maybe, maybe Frank, like maybe he goes and plays in Europe, right. Where it's just, Hey, you know what? I want to have fun, but I would I don't be playing in Europe. Maybe, I'm, but well, Europe's Europe's great for players. You get to travel around. Oh, you know, I, I, I guess
5: I, I sign me up. I get it. Like you don't need to convince me. I'm just, I don't
4: know. Yeah. So
5: doesn't strike me as someone steeped in culture and travel.
4: Yeah. Well, maybe not, but he, uh, like, I think Phil, like he did score 14 goals still. Like you look at 14 goals, 14 goals. There's lots of guys, you know, he can be a third line player at 14 goals if he wants to be, but I think it comes down to, does he want to be on a competitive team? And the thing is he played all regular season in Vegas. Now they were banged up quite a bit. So obviously that's probably why. So it's an interesting one to see if he comes back. Like his contract's going to be similar to what he got last year. I don't It'll think he's less. getting a significant raise. But what's funny, Frank, is he scored 14 goals. And um, if you if you are filing right now this summer for arbitration, and you had 14 goals, you're getting more than a million bucks. I'll tell you that right now. And, and that's why I do want to get to Frank because we have what today's the 12th. So there's 18 days for teams have to decide on qualifying offers for RFAs. And there are some interesting players. Like I I read your article and, you know, yes, before I got traded, I said, he's never getting qualified at 3 million. Not going to happen, but there are some players, Frank. I'm going to throw you out some names and I'm curious to see if teams are going to qualify these guys, um, you know, especially teams that are up against the cap. Okay. So you look at a guy like Dennis Malgan in Colorado. He was on league minimum 750. He scored 13 goals, right? If you qualify him, that means he gets to fall for arbitration. He's not going to get enough in arb for you to be able to walk away. But you you score that many goals, you're suddenly one point seven million dollar player. So they like Morgan, but do they like him at one point seven? I think there's there's about there's quite a few players that are RFAs that if you if you qualify them, like Daniel Sprong, he scored twenty one goals for Seattle. He made seven fifty. Now obviously they'd like to resign him, but. Do they wait and not not? because if you just qualify him, that guy's going to arbitration on 21 goals. He's getting a massive raise. Morgan had 13 last year. Yeah. Morgan had 13. Um, Daniel Sprung had 21. How about tr- Boston Bruins fans? Trent Frederick, 17 goals, 16 assists. He was a million dollar player. So if, well, he's he way already...
5: more than he's way more than
4: um, just what his goal total is. Yes. Oh, I agree. So if if you qualify him, and I know Boston wants to keep him, but you qualify him, you open up the opportunity for him to go to arbitration. And now he don't think Seattle has any
5: choice but to bring Sprong back. Like that's why I didn't put him on the list because first off, they're not a team that's at the cap or really close to it. And to think that they're gonna subtract, I don't personally, I don't think he hits 21 again. I his agree. previous season total was 14, the year before that was 13. But if you look at his goals per game, <laughs> excuse me, this is also the most games that he's played um ever in his career. He his goals per game numbers are generally pretty good. Um but they they can't really afford to find out what happens if we just delete his 21 goals. But he's I, a 21 I personally goal- think the Kraken. As strong as that team is depth wise, I've been saying it all year. I, I think they're bound for a correction to the mean.
4: Sure. So here's the question, though. Like if you're Daniel Sprong and Seattle wants to, well, you know what? We'll sign you to 1.5 or 2 million. He's probably like. All right. I'm not going to accept the qualifying offer. Right now they can just qualify him either way. He doesn't have to accept it, but once they do it, then he files for arbitration. And twenty-one goals in arbitration, Frank, you're getting a significant raise. Yeah, he he is, but they can also afford it. Is my point. Yeah. Well, okay, but good for him then. Then he's getting a big raise. But they've got it, to figure it, out their defense. Because I look at like Will and the Morgan I'm, is do a big
5: raise on defense. He's probably going to go from like nine hundred k to like two seven five that's kind of the range that he's going to be in potentially a three X of his pay.
4: Yeah. Like it's, it's like Ross Colton and look at Tampa Bay and you bring up Ross Colton because look at Carter Verhege, like Carter Verhege people who don't remember Tampa didn't qualify him after they won the Stanley cup in 2020. Cause they didn't have any cap space. And even though his, his numbers, you know what? Uh, he had nine goals in 50 games and they knew if he went to arbitration, he'd get a big raise and they couldn't afford it. So he becomes a free agent, signs in Florida for only a million, but still two-year deal, a million bucks. He gets guaranteed money, and he's been the best value free agent signing in the last three years.
5: Yeah, no one it's better. Not even close. I, I think players like Verhage, players like Bunting that are RFA. Like Bunting was Group Six, became a UFA. Those players come along once every ten years in those circumstances.
4: But that's but teams. Because the flat cap for probably a four straight year, Frank, we've seen it. More teams didn't qual- have qualified on, guys, way. like yeah. Brett Howden. Vegas didn't qualify him because they were worried what he'd get, and then they re him right away, but they didn't qualify him.
5: And yeah, yeah that's a that's sometimes is, is also a negotiating
4: tactic. Yeah, it can be.
5: And he's also an RFA again this year. Exactly, and a Cup no winner. Chance. There's no chance that they're not re-signing him.
4: Yeah. I would would think they will for sure. Yeah. He's played, he's played a really big role in their team. So it worked out well, but you just watch Frank, the last three years, the amount of RFAs we've seen become UFAs has skyrocketed because of the flat cap. And this is the last year of the flat cap. And I'll guarantee all teams are looking at Ross Colton in Tampa, right? Ross Colton in Tampa is a player where you're on a deep forward team and you don't maybe get the opportunities. You come somewhere else, that guy could be a big-time player for he's your gonna, team and I not be overly be expensive.
5: Ross Colton has been on my trade board for the last month because it it's just a battle of trying to squeeze everyone into the cap.
4: Yep, 100%.
5: It's almost impossible to do in, in Tampa. Now, they still need to sign Tanner Janot as well. Um, another guy that is arb eligible... But they just gave up so much to get him.
4: Yeah. Well, unfortunately for him, and I've and I've talked to GMs, and I'm sure you have too, Frank. When you go to the arbitration process, the most recent year counts, then the second year counts, but the second year doesn't count as carry as much weight. And so Tanner Jeannot, well, what two years ago he had the unreal year, right? Yeah. This past year he didn't, and so his arb case, if he went to it, wouldn't he'll be, be he, nearly. He'll as
5: never hard. get to arb. They can't. They gave up too much to to get him, and yeah. not to say that Julian Breswa is going to overpay to keep him now just because of that. The reason the Preds traded him is because they didn't want to pay him either.
4: No. Yeah. Well, he he's he might get two million at the most. Oh, I think he's way. Whereas, more than that. whereas last summer, Frank, he might have got three. He's w- he's way more than two million. You think he's going to be way more than
5: that? Yeah. I get what he did this season, but it's, you know, if, if Tampa, my guess is Tampa is probably going to try and get him on a deal similar to Nick Paul
4: seven year deal.
5: Yeah. That was seven times 3.15 to buy that much UFA. My guess is they're going to try and achieve some real cost certainty and do that. And then I think they're going to take a swing. I'm told they're going to take a swing. At re-signing Ross Colton, I just...
4: Well, yeah, you should.
5: I, I think they're going to have to trade him.
3: No.
4: Like yeah, the, like Geno's like his shooting percentage was off the charts in 2022, and you, you knew there was going to be a regression just because of that. Had never been a big time score, really at any at, at, in junior. So what was his I'm fascinated to see Ox, what he gets. Ox? But if hey, if he gets three million, man, unbelievable for him. I think he's going to be closer to two.
5: We had him on the pod. What was his nickname? The Oxbow Ox.
4: Yes, he's a big human man. He is huge. What a um, what a guy! Yeah, he's getting married this summer, and um, you know he's already had a kid, so he's pretty. Uh, you no, know, life's pretty good for him. And yeah, man, if he gets a seven-year deal at three three uh, sheets a year, that's uh,
5: yeah, maybe something like seven times two and a half. I don't know. Whatever the number is, they're going to try and buy as much as they can. Yeah, and obviously well, they're Colton. a
4: believer in him. I'll tell you right now, Frank, if Ross Colton becomes a free agent, because teams need to hunt in the bargain bin where you don't have to worry about you know grossly overpaying guys. No, and, he's not um,
5: gonna become a free agent.
4: So you think Tampa's gonna be able to sign him?
5: No, I'm telling you they're gonna trade him to somewhere else. Oh, well.
4: Okay. So well, trade bait, whatever, he, but he, he's
5: somewhere he's somewhere in the neighborhood of four million a year. Maybe north of that. I think he is north of that. I think he's closer to four and a half. Colton. He had 22 goals and 40 yeah. points two years ago and 16 goals and 32 points this year. He's yes, yeah, somewhere around four to four and a half on a, any deal with, with term.
4: Hmm. All right. Well, it's, it's not really bargain based from shopping then. Is I, it? That's
5: what I'm telling you between the acquisition cost and signing him. He's not going to be a cheap ad.
4: Yeah. So I think that if you're him, hot. why
5: would you take a bargain deal from Tampa? Well, I agree. You already, you've already won a cup in Tampa. He was a big part of the second one. You need to get paid. He's a late bloomer. He's already 26. His career earnings are $2.9 million. Oh
4: yeah. He's not doing this. This is his
5: opportunity to, as a fourth round pick, this is his opportunity to cash in this nice. year or next year. This is it.
4: Yeah, no. I, I didn't see him getting four and a half, so we'll see if he does. He's, he's in
5: that neighborhood. He's four, like four, and then if there's term, four and a half.
4: Hmm. All right. Let's bring in uh, Ty Aramchuk. Ty, how you doing?
0: I'm doing good, gentlemen. <clears throat> yeah, locked and loaded for a new edition of Buy or Sell. No, sorry, wait. Today is fill in the blank because it's a Monday. Don't know how I forgot about that. I'm a little groggy this morning, boys. I was out at a bachelor party all weekend, so not exactly sharp.
5: Hey, I was thinking about planning ahead for Nashville, guys, and ordering us an IV service to come to the (laughs) hotel.
0: And, like, have them in while we do the podcast?
5: Yeah, like, it's the perfect time. You have to sit there, and you're locked in anyway in a chair. Like, you might as well at least get some nutrients. I'm all about being healthy. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (sighs) Uh. Hey, I, I'm on board if it's a team activity. Um, usually I'm scared of needles, but I'll suck it up for this.
5: Yeah, we'll just we'll put a we'll put a bandana over your face.
0: There you go. Uh, all right, fill in the blank. Uh, you guys talked a little bit about the sign and trade. Damon Severson, Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, that's another big one off the board. But I want to talk about what it maybe means for some of the other D-men in free agency. Uh, Frank, the top five remaining on your list, if we go back to your uh, top 50 free agents on dailyfaceoff.com, are now Orlov, Graves, Mayfield, Susie, and Gudis. The question I have for you guys is, Blank Demon will get an AAV north of $5 million this summer, Frank. Two. Orlov?
5: Orlov and Graves. I'm told Orlov is targeting $8 million a year. That's what he's asking for. I have no, that that's the rumor. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. I would tend to think that it's not, and it's a huge overpay, but that's the thought process. And Graves, I think is right in that 5 million a year range right there. Hmm. Wow. Um, did you fall off your chair when I said 8 million bucks? Well, God,
4: hey, looking the for 8. On the street. Yeah, looking for 8 and getting 8 are two very different things. So,
5: Yeah, I know, uh, I'm looking for a 10, but most of the time I went home with a 2. Uh,
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh I look at the wild card for me in free agency is John Klingberg. And um t- team still value offense. He's not getting 7 mil, that's for sure. But would he get another would he be willing to sign another one-year deal at, at five? Now, if he does, he's probably maybe going to a less competitive team. So he's an interesting one. But I I agree, I don't I'm not even sure Graves gets to five. So I'm gonna say one. Orlos for sure getting over five. I don't I don't know if he gets to eight. I'd be surprised, but I can only say one. I don't I don't see any other B. But then I tell myself, you know, hey, all it takes is one team. You know, Columbus really valued Gabranson. They gave him over four last year. So maybe someone really likes a, a defenseman who's a UFA and they're like guess what we really need this guy so uh we're gonna sign him and uh we don't care what the uh what the cap it is, and you know that's happened but um like what about Shane goss spare right could would someone pay him that he was coming off no, four and a half he had 41 no. goals so 41 points four points no. yeah excuse me so no
5: that's not happening
4: yeah mm-hmm. I don't think so um, the one guy, though, I think might get a, a significant raise this summer is going to be Scott Mayfield. I think Scott Mayfield is going to. Well, frankly, no shit. Just... he was making peanuts. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, like I think he could be close to Gabranson.
0: Yeah, he could be close. Yeah, I, I think he's out. right in
5: that 375 to 425 range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he's not getting five. I don't think. No, 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 not five. But guess what? I'll tell you what. Everyone was excited when both the Gavrikov deal at that AAV, I know the term was shorter. And then this Severson deal, those other D on the market were all licking their chops. They're like 6.25 times eight. You got 50 Schmel.
4: Dude, we'll get into
0: that contract after this because, yeah, there was lots to discuss about that. Okay. Yarmo Kekalainen is uh, managing like a guy who could be on one of his last lives here, uh, loading up, getting a couple big D-men, hiring Mike Babcock as his coach, and uh, Frank and Portsline on DFO Live last week, talking about what else they could be looking to do. And it was go get a centerman for this team. So the question I have for you guys, free agency or trade, the ideal fit on the market for a centerman for Columbus is blank. Jason? They oh. have uh, 5.8 million in cap space right now, by the way, according to Cap Friendly. Yeah, well,
4: they're gonna have to trade some of their D. They got a lot of guys in their D making close to three bills, that they just don't have room for. Yeah, so,
5: peak peak was added to our trade board over the weekend. On yeah,
4: um, it's just a well. It's funny weekend. the center that would make the most sense for them, who's on the market, would be Dubois. But I don't see that. Uh, I don't. I don't see that happening. Uh, they're not again. getting married again. Yeah. So that's a really good question, man. I I think I think there's gonna be a center that they trade for that hasn't really been talked about. Because I don't necessarily see one on the board where I say, okay, here's a good fit. Because it's such a major hole in Columbus. There's no question about it. That's their biggest their biggest hole. And I'm not even sure, guys, if they're going to be able to fill it this offseason.
5: I have real doubts as to whether they'll be able to fill it or not. But if I were to cook up a scenario that makes sense and has been already speculated on a bit, it would be Elias Lindholm.
0: Ooh, interesting.
4: Yeah, well, him and Gaudreau—they played very well together in Calgary. No one can question that. Um, do because can can the Flames have another guy that they sign? You know, long term, uh, possibly, I guess. But that's that's a fascinating one to me. I like Elias Lindholm. I'm just not sure I like him at eight million bucks.
5: Really, yeah. I think he's so good. I would pay him eight and a half. Really? Yep. You think he's going to age well? Yeah. Hmm. I don't he was That's never fun. really like a burner
4: yeah no no but my rule is Frank if you're not elite I don't give you eight years after the age of 28 and teams disagree with me and I can show them every year that I'm right it happens every yeah, year but, okay so let okay so let's get already started. happened this year well
5: we'll get into the Severson contract and we could do part of it right now the Columbus Blue Jackets unfortunately have to overpay everyone to get them to go there yeah that meant eight 50 over eight. That's what that meant to get Severson. Mm -hmm. If you're Yarmo Kekalainen and you, as Tyler just said, you're, you're managing in in your last year, potentially. Why do you give two flying figs? What happens in years six, seven, or eight of that deal? Oh, no, I I, personally, you don't even care what happens in two, three, four, five, six, or seven or eight. (sighs) You just want to make sure that your team has an absolute bonanza on the ice next year. And I think Mike Babcock, Elias Lindholm, you know, the way that he played, it just, it makes sense. And and by the way, you're mischaracterizing Elias Lindholm because he is elite with a capital E.
0: Elite. He's He's been a point of game once though, in his career.
5: Okay, point a game once, he's hit 40 goals, and how many times has he been a finalist for the Selkie?
0: Yeah, know defensively, he's, like, come he's up on. there. I he, agree. Is,
5: he, he is an elite center.
4: Frankie, well, you and I have a stronger difference in a definition of elite. Yeah, People throw a lead out day. way too often. He's not elite in my books. He's a really good player. Um, but he's not elite. And so, I do. what's
5: what's the difference between Jack? Um, excuse me, Dylan Larkin and Elias Lindholm.
4: I've never said Larkin's elite. Yeah, I don't see a huge difference.
5: So okay, so what did Dylan Larkin just get?
4: Yeah, seven. Whatever he is. Hey, I, I'm not saying that he won't get it. Frank. He got 8.7, eight yeah.
5: times eight point seven. Yeah, Dylan Larkin's career high in points. And goals came this year: seventy-nine points and thirty-two goals. Elias Lindholm last year: eighty-two points, forty-two goals, and was a runner-up for the Selkie.
4: Uh, hey, Lindholm had had his. That was his career year, Frank. I don't see him matching it. O- okay, but a few years before that, he had seventy-eight points. Like
5: to think that this is not a possibility on a regular basis. Like I got... He had 47 and 56. Like we, we always forget about the shortened pandemic season too.
4: Yeah. Well, actually I mean, if- even
5: this year, like a down year for Elias Lindholm, he had 64 points in 80 games.
4: Yeah. Solid player. Just not elite. I'm not debating that. He's a good player. I'm saying he's, he's not a elite. Num- okay.
5: But okay. So if we're to rank the number one centers in the league, like, if you were to cut it off at a certain number, this number of guys, 17, 20, whatever the number is, 15, this is how many authentic number one centers are in the NHL. He makes the cut. Mm. I'm just, I, I'm like, I, I'm again, because yeah. people laughed at this and I got a bunch of DMs. Mm-hmm. I'm not nobbing Elias Lindholm. I just think he's really good.
0: Fair, fair enough. I also think another thing too is if you're Columbus, you don't hesitate to do stuff like that. I always think that when teams are coming out of their rebuilds, when they'll have again Cole Sillinger, Kent Johnson, if they draft Carlson third, like you'll have this little window of time where those guys are dirt cheap. Like surround them with as much good shit as you can and go all in. Like add all these veterans. And then yeah, in three years, the cap will go up. You'll use that money to sign all your young kids again. I think teams are often too hesitant to go all in when you have high-end young guys on their ELCs. Yeah. All of a sudden you can
5: properly slot Boone Jenner on your team.
0: Yeah. No, he can ripple, become your
5: third line center instead of your first. Like,
0: yeah.
5: I just, it,
4: like it I'm makes not sure. That, much sense. I just, I'm not sure Lindholm's top 20 center in the league.
0: I, I, yeah, he's probably somewhere right around there. Cause, cause we'll go what, through. The,
5: that's not really what the question is. Mm-hmm. The question is how many do you define as the true number one centers?
0: probably somewhere between 16 and 24 in that Three,
5: range Twenty
4: right? four 5
5: 24 six, is too many.
4: 7 8 9 10 um, 11 12 that might be 15 and I wouldn't be in my list of 15 Right, because there's guys like McDavid, Drysidel, Matthews, McKinnon, you know, those are the obvious Jack Hughes, I think, is one Elias Petterson, Braden Point, Tage Thompson, Crosby. Um That's I nine. would throw in uh Barkov for sure. Rupe Hintz. And- is a hell of a player. Hello. Um who am I missing? Um sh- 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 sh. now is Zabana Jad possibly like is is if Jenny uh, Malkin still won, no, like if Jenny no. Malkin would probably still be one for me, he's a point of game player when he, the guy's over a point of game all the time. So um, I'd still probably have him. Okay. Rupe now, like, Agnes, I like love the
5: guy, but has also not gotten to 80 points and has not hit 40 goals and has definitely not been a finalist for the Selkie.
0: Yep. Sure. I'm, I'm not, stabbing. I'm just,
5: so that's 12 guys you named. Like I actually really enjoy the exercise. Like
4: let's keep going what did I have open there so what about Mark Scheifele put Shifley ahead of him
5: um I would say that Shifley and Lindholm are in the same
4: realm
0: did you say Hughes Jack Hughes in there Greg's yeah I think I had Hughes yeah, yeah. what about Anzi Kopitar still, Stamp still Coast, I didn't
4: put Stamkos I should put him in
5: okay that's 15 do you put JT Miller in
4: Uh, Well, his last few years he has, but,
0: well, if they would use him as a center, that would probably help. (laughs) Yeah, he, in the last three regular seasons, JT Miller is eighth amongst centermen in points per game, so he's probably up there.
5: Okay. Do you use, is Nico Heischer one?
0: Sebastian and Ajo. See, I I think Heischer is very similar to Lindom. Yeah, that's where... I think there's like a clear cut tier where you have no problem rattling off the names. And yeah. then that's like your one A's and I'd have like Lindholm. Heisher; those guys are like your one B's or like, you can play them as a one, but I think you need to have someone like really damn good next to him too, to have a good top line.
5: Okay. Here's a really fun question. Cause I just stumbled on his name. Who would you rather have and sign to this next contract? Bo Horvat or Elias Lindholm?
4: Why well, Bo Horvat? Trust me, if you're Elias Lindholm, that's the contract you're looking to say, hey, Bo Horvat, because I think we all agree that Bo Horvat got overpaid and the Islanders. That's and and that happens. Teams will do it sometimes because they feel that they they have to. And so maybe that's why Columbus does it. I'm just saying I I, I think it's a you, you get desperate because you feel like, OK, this is what we need. Like, Bo Horvat is a solid player. But he's not a huge offensive player. He got he was on a massive heat at her start last season. We didn't massive talk heater. about Jack Eichel. Right? No. Well, Jack Eichel, injuries have always played a part in his, I think, for him. Yeah, but and I, just, I look at Jack like a Eichel's top
5: five center for his whole career, pretty much. Yeah. Like
4: he's Jack Eichel's high-end
0: game is just better than Lindholm's or Bo Horvath because of his speed and his release. If I had to choose between Lindholm or Horvat at 8-5, I think I'd choose Lindholm. So I guess that means he's fair game to get more than eight, yeah?
5: He's definitely fair game to get more than eight.
0: Yeah, Especially when the oh, cap. The deal like, adage,
4: do you, you know? get more than eight on a playoff team or a non-playoff team, right? There's always a difference.
5: Well, when you go to Columbus, maybe you make them a playoff team. Or if not. he goes to Columbus, book it. Trip oh, to the oh, wow. I, I can- well, this well after we wrap fill in the blank, I, I will tell you why how much I like Columbus's defense core. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I I do I have one more question for you guys on fill in the blank. This is news that came right at the end of last week, so you guys wouldn't have had a chance to talk about it on this pod. But I saw people really, you know, I think maybe a little overreacting about what the Shane Doan hire means for the Leafs and the thing the future with Austin Matthews. So I'm interested for your answers to this. Shane Doan going to the Leafs increases their chances of signing Austin Matthews by blank percent. Frank, zero. Okay,
5: I don't think it means anything one way or the other.
0: Yeah,
4: like Shane Doan's one of the most likable humans around. Um, I, I think this was him wanting more responsibility. Um, I get the connection to Arizona, to a, a guy that he he grew up with, but Austin Matthews, I, I think his decision um, isn't going to be changed by who's in management.
0: Yeah, I I saw a lot of people. I thought it was a bit of an overreaction, so I was interested to see uh, your guys take on that. Uh, That's a wrap on this week's edition of Fill in the Blank.
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
3: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: It's good exercise. We could look into that because I think you'll have lots of different opinions on uh, where centers rank. Um, now, you like the uh, the blue line of the jackets. Uh, you're huge on uh, the youngster coming in because I, I saw you tweeted out, Frankie, you, you think you think your sec might start in the uh, the top four. They definitely have depth, but like, what about Boquist? Like um, where does he fit in now? Like, is, is he on your trade bait board? Because I think they've got, they've got nine or 10 defensemen now.
5: Yeah. He, he so he certainly could be moved. I think, I don't want to say like the book is out on him. Cause I think there's still a lot to be written, but the undersized defenseman thing is problematic for him. Yep. And plus, I think they also really like Jake Bean, who's coming off of injury. They've got Blankenberg, who's a great 6 7. Um, you know, say what you want about his contract, but the fact that you could run Gabranson on your third pair is contract and AAV aside is probably pretty good. Yeah. Um, I just, I think. Severson and Provorov are really underrated. And people have made, they like people like trashed me on social media when I listed their top four. You've got Provorov and Warensky on the left side. And on the right side, you've now got Severson and likely David Yuracek. God damn like that I think all in in very short order the Columbus Blue Jackets defense corps is kind of built like the Carolina Hurricanes. They're mobile, they can move the puck and from 1 to 6 like they're going to be pretty damn good.
4: Yeah, see, here's my concern about Prohorov because I looked Provorov in the playoffs for New Jersey. Was Proveroff their third pair, didn't, third pair right defenseman five.
5: played for the flyers.
4: Sorry, not pro Rob S- Severson. Severson Severson in the playoffs was their third highest minute guy, five on five, um, for the devils. And, um, if, if you now expect him to be a first pair guy, so you I think Frank will be that guy, but very few rookies are that guy. So down the road, he can be that guy. Um, I think Severson's a second pair defense but I don't view him as a first pair defense with me. So, um I and like Provorov. eventually
5: on on Yurychek
4: being their yes,
5: top I, pair right shot defense.
4: Yeah, but and, he can't be as a rookie. So, next season now Severson's going to be your your top pair right guy I would think, right? And um I'm curious about, you know, certain times in matchups like where Prohorov, like Prohorov's the best defender of the three. Between him, uh, Warenski, and Saverson. I think he's the best defender. There's not much question on that. So um, I like that addition a lot, especially the cost. Um, here is my only question about Columbus: was would he if if he went to free agency? That I think he was going to. Would he have turned down a seven-year deal at the exact same AAV?
5: Um. I don't well, see how yeah, obviously the the Blue Jackets were motivated to give up a third round pick. I yep. think the target was 50 million, regardless of how many years. And the fact that they were able to get and divide that AAV by eight instead of seven is why they were willing to give up the third, the extra third that they had.
4: Yeah. And hey, I get that they they felt they had to improve their D and they've improved their defense. There's but no like, argument. They've about. also got
5: some really good defensemen coming like Denton Matichuk
4: Oh, is really freaking good. Carson Kuhlman's. They got lots of good young D in that organization. Yeah. And that's where I said, Frank, if I'm the Columbus Blue Jackets, they've got they to need, move someone. They've got to trade some guys. And, it, and it's going to be a trade where it might end up that some of these players become really good elsewhere but they so badly need a center that it doesn't matter how much they've improved their decor If they don't improve their center core.
5: I agree. And they'll tackle it. I just, it it depends on how big of a splash it's going to be. That's really what tier center are they getting? That's really the question. Is it a, is it a high impact guy like a Lindholm? I, I, my guess is that since Mike Babcock is there, that someone like Kevin Hayes in the next tier down is probably not going to happen. But is it the difference between Lindholm and Hayes, for instance? Like that's what I'm asking. How big of an impact will it be?
4: And if and if you're Craig Conroy in Calgary, where I think a lot of people feel like that was a team that collectively underachieved last year. Yep, and that the change in the coach is going to change the the, the culture and the positivity around there significantly. They want to get back in the playoffs in Calgary, no question. So They want to if resign they,
5: these guys. Yeah, if they I trade guess, Lindholm. The big question is, Hadafin and Lindholm, do they want to be there? And that no. part, we don't have the answer
4: yet. So do you think, like, they, you know, Ryan Huskett sounds like he's going to be the head coach. So they know him. Um, he's put in years. The guy's been coaching for 20-some years between junior and, the, and pro hockey. Been on the, the Flames bench for a long time. Yeah. So, which is always a tough transition. I just want to point that out. But I, I'm curious because Craig Conroy, I loved his honesty. He said, Hey, I learned lots in the Johnny Gaudreau. You don't want to have guys enter, but some teams do. It's not like every player enters. They're not. They will not. I'm just like, write it in Sharpie. They
5: will not enter this year with any players unsigned past next season. Well, don't they have eight? They right, have a, a significant number, and they're either going to re-sign them or ship them out. Because they have Oliver Shillington on defense. Um, you coming, have, that, okay, that might be one guy that's different, because he still needs to actually come back and play. He's okay. coming off of the year that he missed and was in Sweden due to personal issues. No, like, like okay, so that so maybe that's like, one guy.
4: Like Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov. Do those guys have to be like uh, um, Blake Coleman? Does he have – or sorry, Michael Backlund. Does he have to be – like Michael Backlund's 35. To me, I wouldn't sign him. I would wait and see how he does in the season. I'm talking their big guns. So, Hannafin, you're talking Toffoli?
5: And Lindholm, yep. Hannafin, Toffoli, and Lindholm. They will not be back next season if they're not signed. Really? Hmm. that's my prediction okay i just think they that organization is scarred after the johnny gaudreau situation
4: oh, that could be that could be right um we will uh see how that goes frank uh the uh stanley cup uh uh barring a, a stunner is going to be uh, handed out uh, this week i would think the only way it doesn't is if it goes to seven games it would be a week this uh, a week today uh the find question that to- is: By the time we do the pod Sunday, will someone be sipping from it?
5: Or sorry, by the time we Thursday. do the pod Thursday?
4: Yeah, I I think Vegas wins Game Five, so I'm going to say yes.
5: Okay. I, don't know. I, got a, I got a sneaky feeling that the Panthers are going to send it back to Florida. They got to go home anyway.
4: Right. Uh, before we go, because I know a lot of our listeners are sports fans. um, I don't know how many of them. I know lots of them are golf fans. Frank, Nick Taylor. A 72 yard putt on a playoff foot foot to uh, win the uh, RBC Canadian Open. Uh, and the ending to the drought is obviously one huge thing, of course, but it's a playoff hole to win it. I saw a tweet. They, they said that was the longest putt ever to, to win a tournament. Um, and then did you see the uh, secure Adam Hadwin, the Canadian, is oh. out there celebrating. Now the security guard's doing his job. I don't, I don't have an issue. And the great part was like Hadwin looked like just he's wearing his jeans. He just looked like a fan. It was so funny.
5: And the best uh, I don't part know, about it has been the tweets from his wife. I don't know oh yes. follower. But she was saying uh, in true Canadian fashion after getting tackled by the security guard that he apologized.
4: Yeah. Hey, why not? But, uh, and you know, like the cigar right away, everybody realized that it was kind of funny, but there is the one slow motion scene where you see the caddy of Nick Taylor while they're celebrating and all of a sudden he sees the guy taking Hadwin down. His facial expressions, the greatest part.
5: Well, uh, consider this. A Canadian has now won the Canadian open more recently than Canada has won the Stanley cup.
4: That's true. Right. I would uh I know that's such a big thing, but there was a stretch there where Canada all they did was win the Stanley Cup, right? From from 84 to 93. How about like for like the test of time, more or less? Yeah. Well, yeah, you go back when there's only six time immemorial. Sure. Yes. Like so to me, if you if you took a 40 year window and said, okay, they've won this many times, it's on average. Just they won all eight of them in a 10 year span and I haven't won since.
5: I have a trivia question for you. Sure. What is the who is the last NHL team to win the Stanley Cup with a a roster entirely made of Canadian born players? Like, not one player of any other nationality.
4: That's a good question. Um, Well, Going through the teams. I don't know who.
5: The Broad Street Bullies. Flyers, yeah. Every single player on the roster, Canadian, the last team to do it.
4: Uh, that makes sense, right? They, there's Lots more Americans started playing, coming to the NHL, and then obviously the Euro influx that began in the 80s. Makes sense. I'm pretty sure. Now, Vegas, doesn't Vegas have the most Canadians this year? I think so. I think they might. I think they have 16. So it's, um, the, uh, but, it's the Manitoba mafia. Yeah, it's true. But the uh, Canadian fans don't care about that. They want to see one of their uh, seven teams win. And lastly, Frank, uh, we got about two minutes. Give me your thoughts on the saga. That is the Ottawa senators ownership.
5: Well, I just think the frustration is boiling over watching Steve Apostolopoulos walk away. I think that was a wake up call an eye opener to lose a good bidder. And all I can tell you is this, the Ryan Reynolds group that pulled out. Yeah. The things that were said behind the scenes were so explosive. They essentially said that this process was a joke and that they would more or less never do business with the NHL again. And I don't know. There's a lot of blame to go around between Banker, Melnick Estate, and the NHL. The truth is, like, these groups were all sitting here saying, like, we put our best foot forward, put a deposit down and made a bid. Why are we negotiating against ourselves? It should just be like a silent auction. Whoever writes down the biggest number gets the team. And if it's not all to do with that, then tell us what the other qualifications are and what's happening. And I think this sort of behind the scenes has been... There's been multiple instances where other bidders in this process have said, "You know what? Screw this. This is these rules are ridiculous. The game we're playing is ridiculous, and potentially the price that we're paying is ridiculous." Because small market Canadian team, I just end a billion dollars that you're going to need to build the arena. I it is a hefty investment that is going to take a long time to get your money back.
4: Well, and the thing is. It can't really seem to get any clarity on who's holding this up. That's what like who who's doing who's screwing around? Is it the is it the Melnik camp? Is it the bank? Is it is it all three equally? Like, who's responsible for this? And and how does the NHL allow this to happen? Would be my question. Because your league ends up the one Frank is if Remington's correct and say we don't want to leave the league's a joke, rightly or wrongly, um, you're guilt by association because you've allowed this.
5: Well, yes and no. like the estate is the one who dictates how this plays out. So this is what happens when I don't know if Eugene Melnick's death it caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, I was at the GM meetings in Florida when it happened, and the looks on people's faces, like they did not see it coming. I don't know how well prepared this was to play out this way. Usually, if someone's dying like that, you see uh, an asset of this magnitude transferred well before that happens.
4: Yeah. But. So it's odd. Frankie, have yourself a great week. Uh, we'll chat with you on Thursday.
1: Thanks for listening to the DFO rundown with Sarah Volley and Gregor. Keep it locked on daily and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode.
0: but there's more, you gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first and you're gonna wanna be careful cause that's one that could be cooked early on In the game, and finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now, let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff?